0: So far this Christmas season, we have seen two marvelous gifts that God gives that he lovingly bestows on us. There, there was the gift of life, um, and we learned that we have a responsibility with that life to use it in obedience to God's commands. We also looked at the gift of the promise with an ex- with the expectation that we put our trust in God to fulfill that promise. This morning, we're going to look at a third gift. We're going to open up the third of God's precious gifts to us, the gift of grace. Stand with me as we read this morning. We'll read in the Gospel of Matthew. We're just going to read one verse to begin with, um, but we'll cover the first 17 verses. This is God's Word, and if you let it, it will change your life. Matthew 1.1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Pray with me. Father, thank you for your word this morning as we dig in. I pray that you would use this time to show us your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. You may be seated. My wife is a genealogy type of person. She, she does ancestry and, um, She's done her family and my family, and has gotten back pretty far. She's got. Uh, she said she told me this morning that she's got some of her family back to the 1790s. Uh, my family can't quite get back that far. Uh, they came through Ellis Island in the early 1890s, and that's the earliest record we can get of that. But but um, we found a lot of interesting things about uh, our family. We we found a relationship to President Polk. Um, through through one of the lines of our family, we found some other interesting things. We found some things that are more uh, uh, blushing than, than, than things that we like to admit, you know? Some things have happened in the past that we don't exactly like to talk about. But it's all part of our family history. There's something fascinating about learning your ancestry. Uh, uh, learning who came before you can give you an appreciation of who you are. And where you are today. Learning about the history of your family can often make you more grateful for the things that you have. For Matthew, tracing the genealogy of Jesus has a deeper meaning. Uh, uh, In fact, it's a theological meaning. This genealogy, we find God's gift of grace. Now, grace is one of those things that is easier demonstrated than explained. If I were to sit up here and I were to give you the things that make grace what it is, that would be dry and boring. So instead, let's take a little walk down memory lane, shall we? Let's go back in time and see God's grace unfold before our eyes. Matthew begins the genealogy with a brief overview. For him, Israel's history as a people really has three major divisions. Abraham to David... David to the exile and the exile to Christ. Let's see it unfold. Verse two, Abraham was the father of Isaac and Isaac, the father of Jacob and Jacob, the brother, the father of Judah and his brothers. Genesis tells us a lot about these patriarchs. Abraham is called by God to leave his home and to follow God to a new land. His obedience sets the example of faith for all of us. And as a result, he experiences God's grace in the promise. Remember in Genesis chapter 15, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward will be very great. But Abram said, oh Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. What are you going to give me, God? I don't even have a son. My servant is going to get all the stuff when I die. How are you going to bless me. What reward are you going to give me? Seeing as how I don't even have someone to carry on a legacy. And Abram said, behold, you've given me no offspring and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. Now, astronomers would tell us there's about 2,000 stars that we can see in our night sky. Oh, but there are countless many more beyond that. You know, some of those stars aren't stars. Some of them are galaxies full of stars. God says, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. An old man with no hope for a future legacy. That's what Abraham was. But God's promise gave that hopeless man a great, great hope. And in fact, this genealogy proves that God met that promise. Abraham had his problems. He lost faith in that very promise, created a mess of a situation between him and his wife and his servant. Yet even in the midst of sin, God's grace still shine through. God still fulfilled the promise to Abraham, still showed grace to Hagar, still displayed even grace to her son, Ishmael, whose name means God hears. The story continues with Isaac, the son of promise. Isaac shows us more of God's grace, though he and Rebekah divided up their household by picking favorites of their children. Talk about a family feud, yet God's grace extends even to the most tempestuous of family scenarios. And how much more true of that was it than Jacob's life? Jacob with 12 sons, the fathers of the tribes of Israel, that grace that God gave saw a brother almost left for dead and then sold to slave traders And it was that son that becomes the means of salvation for the family when a great famine threatens that part of the world. Oh, by the way, the brother that sold Joseph into slavery, the one whose idea it was to sell him for profit, he's the one named in this genealogy, Judah. Yeah, talk about needing grace. Even in the midst of great sin, God's grace does not cut off his people does not thwart his heritage, for God has made a promise and will fulfill it in spite of man's best efforts to thwart his goodwill. The story continues through the lineage of Judah, verse 3, and Judah, the father of Perez, and Zerab by Tamar, and Perez, the father of Hezron, and Hezron, the father of Ram, and Ram, the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab, the father of Nashan, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab. And Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. Notice what's happening here. There's both men and women, both famous and obscure, but there's a vital ink that brings all of these into the same story, this story of God's grace unfolding. We don't know much about many of these names, but God is continuing to work his plan, even in the back rooms, even in what appears to be ordinary life, God is still working through grace. But as we do know, He was the one who fulfilled the role of kinsman redeemer. For Ruth. Ruth, the Moabitus, that she, is a, she, she, is, she marries the son of an Israelite man and woman who fled because of famine. The father dies. the two brothers die. And now these three women, all widows, Naomi tells her daughters-in-law, go back home, go make a life for yourself. Y'all are young enough. Y'all can do what you need to do. Y'all y'all go, you take care of yourselves. I'll be okay. Don't worry about me. Orpah, through tears, says goodbye and goes home. Ruth isn't going anywhere. No, she she tells Naomi, I'm staying with you. Your God will be my God. And your people will be my people. And so when she is with Naomi back in Israel, they come across a man named Boaz. He's the kinsman redeemer. He does what is required of the law, passing on that man's heritage by taking Ruth as his wife, caring not only for Ruth, but also for Naomi. And now these people, this Moabitess that shouldn't have even been in Israel in the first place, because of her willingness to put faith in God is now not only part of Israel, she's part of the lineage of Christ. God working his grace, turning the tragedy of widowhood into something very marvelous indeed. We're not even to David yet, but I hope you begin to see the pattern. Do do you see it unfolding? Whether the stories are tragic or triumphant, and life is often both, by the way. We find God's grace woven throughout. (laughs) Then there's David the king. Sometimes when you reach the top there's nowhere to go but down. That's what happens in this genealogy. David is almost a a peak but then it kind of goes downhill from him. Even even when it seems like all is going well. Look at the end of verse six. That, that's the beginning of verse six. Pull up the end of verse six. It's, it's on the next slide. And Jesse, the father of David, the king, and David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. David, even David, the man after God's own heart, chased after a married woman to the point of killing her husband to get her. And yet, even in that terrible sequence of events, God's grace does not let our sin be the final word. Even though even though, the adulterous relationship happens, we find the next leak in the lineage through it. The child that would carry on not only that line, but the line of promise from Abraham and this promise of David. You see, God had promised Abraham all the nations of the world would be blessed through you. God promised David that one of your sons will not cease to sit on the throne forever. And both of those promises carry forward even through the worst of depravity. The royal lineage picks up from there. And Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. And Abijah, the father of Asaph, and Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat and Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram, and Joram, the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah, the father of Jotham, and Jotham, the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh, the father of Amos, and Amos, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation of Babylon. If you're astute, and I don't expect you to be because I didn't notice it either, you'll notice he skipped some names. There's several kings that aren't mentioned in this list. The funny thing is, even in those skip names, even through all of this history of good kings and bad kings, of kings that, that set up God's will, kings that restore the temple, kings that tear down the false idols and bid Israel back to the worship of the true God, and kings that weren't so good, kings that set up false abominations all over the land, Kings that drove Israel further and further away from their God. Kings that indulged in idolatry, adultery, all sorts of evil. God's grace still works through. Mitchell, sit right. Arms out. Thank you, buddy. From the height of Israelite prominence to the depths of despair in Babylonian exile. King after king comes and goes, good, bad, really bad. Eventually the kingdom of Judah, the remnant of Israel, would be banished in a foreign land. Yet even there, thousands of miles from the land of promise, God's grace is still at work. Jeremiah wrote a book called Lamentations. It's not a very happy book, But even in the middle of his lamenting over Jerusalem, even in the middle of him crying over the despair of the city, of its neglect, of its destruction, even there, Jeremiah can find the seeds of hope. He says, but I call this to mind and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Spoiler alert, the rest of the book, he goes back to lamenting. But even in the middle, even in the middle of that, he finds God's grace. Ezekiel, Jeremiah was in Jerusalem through and after the Babylonian destruction of the city. Ezekiel went with the exiles. So he is by the river Kabar in Babylon. But even there, he writes of a revival and renewal of Israel such that, such that a river would flow from the temple all the way through the land down into the Dead Sea, making the water so fresh that it's teeming with life. Now Dead Sea, there's a reason they call it the Dead Sea. It's so salty, nothing can live in it. Not in that day. You see, even in the middle of the exile, even when all appears to be completely and totally lost, God's grace is still working. Have you ever experienced God's grace? Maybe you've had a time of exile. Maybe you've had a time of suffering. Maybe you've had problems that you created yourself. Have you ever experienced the grace of God? Matthew moves beyond the exile and in a way back toward a higher apex than before. We're climbing back up now. Things are restoring. Things are starting to look up again. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, that, that one that was leading Israel during the restoration of the temple in Jerusalem. Zerubbabel the father of Abiud and Abiud the father of Elikim, and Elekin the father of Azor and Azor the father of Zadok and Zadok the father of Acham and Acham the father of Eliud and Eliud the father of Eleazar and Eleazar the father of Mathon, and Mathan the father of Jacob and Jacob the father of Joseph the husband of Mary of whom Jesus was born who is called Christ. Matthew is trying to teach us something even though you don't know most of the names in that last list neither do I. It's okay, but he's still trying to show us something. This genealogy uh, in one way shows that Jesus is the rightful heir to David's throne, but it does more than that. Matthew's showing us the constant grace of God, working in the midst of our human frailty and human depravity. You see, every person in this lineage, except for Jesus, has something in common. Every single one are sinners. I know because I are one. We all are, aren't we? the human race, every single one of us has sinned. We've all defiled God. We've all made a royal mess of our lives. Whether we see ourselves as decent and respectable or whether we're ashamed to show our faces in public, every single one of us is a sinner. That's what makes this a story of grace. We deserve punishment. We deserve suffering. We deserve death. But God shows us grace even when we don't deserve it. That's why it's grace. That's what makes it grace. And even when we are completely opposed to him, even when we are his enemies, God still shows us grace. It's as though God is weaving a giant tapestry of grace, carefully working the threads of many different colors to create the pattern that pleases his eye. You know, sometimes we don't like those colors. Sometimes we look at the thread and we say, you're not going to use that color, are you? Sometimes they look so dark, so painful, so full of dread that we question whether he really knows what he's doing. Sometimes it's not even just what he's doing, but where he's doing it. It just doesn't look right. I I don't like where this is going. Sometimes we balk at the thought that God would put that thread there, but the tapestry of grace is perfect in his design and he'll bring it all together in a stunning array if we're just patient enough to let him weave. You might be saying to yourself, okay, I get it. God gives us grace, but what's the catch? I mean, there's always a catch, right? Every gift that we've had, there's a gift, but then there's a responsibility. So the gift of life has the responsibility of using it in obedience to God's commands. The gift of a promise has the responsibility that we must put our trust in him. So what's the catch? What is it that God wants me to do with this grace that he's offering? God gives us grace, but requires us to repent of our sins. You see, the whole reason for grace, the whole purpose of God showing us grace is for us to repent. I said we're all sinners. Repentance is a willingness to admit that and to turn away from it, to turn toward God instead of away from him to see God's grace working in our life and to align ourselves with what he's doing, to stop fighting him as enemies and start loving him, sons and daughters. That's what God wants us to do with grace. When God preached through Jonah to the Ninevites, they repented. So God stopped the judgment. He offers us that same thing. He's offering the grace so that we have the opportunity to turn from our sin. Now, to be fair, Matthew doesn't actually point this out in this genealogy. All he does is lay out the history of God's grace to Israel from Abraham all the way down to Christ because he sees Christ as its culmination. Christ is the one to whom everything is going. Christ is the fulfillment of the promises to Abraham and to David. But Paul, Paul sees the connection. So he writes in Romans chapter six, he says, uh, basically he has been saying that we are justified by faith. And then he says, well, if we're justified by faith, if grace abounds to cover our sin, then should we just sin more so that grace can abound all the more? Absolutely not. No, no. The proper response to grace is not sin. It's repentance. Repentance. Romans 6 verse 12, let not sin therefore, in light of the fact that God has shown you so much grace, do not let sin reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. Don't give yourself up for that. No, you have been given grace not to be to sin, but to be saved from sin but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Verse 14, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law, but under grace. Now we see what he wants us to see. Now we see how this all works together. God is giving his grace so that we can respond in repentance of our sin. Turn away from those evil ways that we used to live. Those ways that made us need grace. And instead live in light of his grace. Repenting of our sin. Turning to him and letting him be the one to lead us. When Paul says you're not under the law but under grace... He's not saying grace is forcing you. He's saying you now have the freedom to do what God wants you to do. So our response ought to be to live like it. Not exploiting grace to continue to sin, but living in grace. Just like the gifts of life and promise of restoration, the gift of grace has its requirement to live in grace. God gives us this grace so we can have the opportunity to be restored in relationship with him. Our sin separates us. When you do something wrong to someone, it builds a a barrier between you two. It it erects a wall so so that you and that other person are separated. It works the same with God. When we sin against God, it separates us from him. But by God's grace, through Jesus Christ, We don't have to be separated anymore. That same Christ who is the culmination of God's promises to Abraham and to David is the same Christ who is the culmination of all of God's promises for you. If you're ready to trust him, I'm going to be up here at the front. Maybe you've got questions and just need some help, or maybe maybe you you've already made that decision, but it's time to go public. I'll be glad to help you with that. If you've already trusted Christ, maybe, maybe you just need to live in light of that grace. The altar is going to be open. If you want to come pray, you're welcome to come. If God in his grace is prompting you to join in fellowship with this church, now's the time to come. I'll pray and then we'll sing an invitation hymn. Join me in prayer. Father, this is your time. Thank you for your grace. Help us respond. Help us turn away from our sin. Help us experience life in your grace. Thank you for this history. We can look back on and see you work. Thank you for the grace that you've shown us. Father, help us respond with repentance and with complete devotion to you. In Jesus' name, amen.